Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, it's great to be with you today. It's so good to be here, Matt. I am so excited for this episode today. Well, Rachel, you are always excited for our interviews. (laughs) I know. I I think I always say that. But but I sense an extra level of excitement because you you are personally passionate about today's topic and in particular today's guest. So yeah. so so tell us who's on the show. What are we talking about? Okay, we have Meredith Ann Miller with us today, talking to us about teaching children about Jesus. Yes, Meredith Ann Miller. And for those of you who are not familiar with Meredith Ann Miller, Meredith is a pastor and parent with over 20 years experience helping families follow Jesus. She wants to help parents re-examine the notion of using the Bible to raise, quote, good kids and catch a fresh vision for being a Jesus-centered, justice-seeking, and joy-filled family. Uh, She has many resources, including a podcast of her own called Ask Away, a faith-based newsletter, and an Instagram account at Meredith Ann Miller. Miller. So Rachel, what are you hoping to uh, to talk about in our conversation with Meredith Ann Miller? Okay. So you talked about that um, Instagram, her at Meredith Ann Miller, and she just yeah. has these amazing resources about, I mean, this is right up our alley about making Jesus simple. Yeah. And like I was, I've worked in children's ministry. I was a children's director for many years. Like I've, I know how to tell Jesus kids about Jesus. But when I had my own kids and we really started to hit on what does it look like to live a life that loves Jesus, it's a whole different animal. Um, And so her message just about like, how do we, how do we keep teach kids about children? Because a lot of times we teach kids about Jesus um, as if they're adults and that just doesn't work for children. So that's right. Yeah. And she's got some real credibility behind her work. You know, she mm-hmm. she has an MDiv from Fuller Seminary, so she's been taught the scriptures. She's been taught how to be a teacher of the faith. But also for like five years, she was the curriculum director for the children's ministry at one of the largest churches in North America at Willow Creek Community Church, just outside mm-hmm. of Chicago, Illinois. So so she knows how to teach the faith. So if you you know, we talk about on Make It Simple, we want to talk with experts. You know, Meredith Ann Miller, she she's an expert on this. And and what I'm what I'm looking forward to in this conversation is is really to dive into how to how to steer away from moralism in mm-hmm. teaching the faith. Not not just with kids but with everybody because we we so easily veer into just making the Bible all about being a good person, but we particularly do that with kids. And so how do we steer away from simply teaching kids moralism or using the scriptures yeah. or the Christian faith as a front for just trying to get obedience out of our kids. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I see it all over the place. And, uh, I want to teach kids about Jesus, um, and teach them to, to rely on him and have a great relationship with him. And that's, that's what Meredith is all about. Anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, I know that she has a different way of looking at what we consider like Bible stories, uh, Mm, than maybe a lot of us have approached before. So I want to ask her, you know, specifically, what does it look like to, to teach, Bible stories to kids and like, maybe what's a better way uh, to do that? Um, so I really want to hear her um, break that down for us. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do with those Bible stories that are just really difficult? <laughs> Not kid to appropriate. Teach kids? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, so like what comes to mind for me, like in the old Testament, there's this, this story of, of Hosea, the prophet, and God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. Like, how do <laughs> right. you teach that one? 
to yeah. a three-year-old, right? Oh, so like, yeah. what does she do with that? Like, how do you teach those stories? Should you teach those stories? So, so right. I, I'm excited to have this conversation with, sorry, that's the example I brought up, but that's what's on my no, mind. Like, great. how do you teach, yeah. how do you teach these things to kids? All right. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's not waste any more time. Um, and just fair warning, you know, R- Rachel's going to be a bit starstruck in this conversation because she really, she, she really likes Meredith Ann Miller. So do I. I do. So, so, so let's, let's just dive right in to this conversation about teaching children about Jesus with Meredith Ann Miller. Meredith Miller, thank you for joining us on Make It Simple. It's so great to have you with us. It's great to be with you. I'm so excited. Thank you. So Meredith, tell us about your ministry and the the message of your ministry. What do you aim to do? I primarily am helping parents figure out how to introduce their kids to Jesus and explore the Bible well, which often means that we are practicing making a shift from obedience training towards a trust-based paradigm where the idea is that we would be getting to know God over time so that a kid could have the time and the space and the experiences that help them figure out that God can be trusted. um, And ultimately they're ready then to decide what that trust looks like in their life. So, so tell me about this pivot away from obedience training. What, what do you mean by that? Do, do a lot of people use the Bible to just try and teach their kids how to be better behaved kids? Is that what you're saying? Very much. Yes. Okay. There is a large uh, paradigm kind of out in the U.S. context, especially where the idea is fundamentally that we are sure that God wants children to obey because God wants us all to obey. And therefore, mm-hmm. what you do with kids a lot of times is teach them what that obedience looks like and sounds like and should take shape you know, in their own lives. The often assumed piece of that would be that if a kid does that, they will begin to automatically see the benefits of obedience and that that would somehow mm-hmm. like backfill into, mm-hmm. therefore God must be right and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. But often... Obedience for folks who know Jesus does not necessarily make your life smooth out, look awesome, yeah. work great. Right. So there's a bit of a, a fault in the assumption yeah. on the one hand. And the other layer that comes with that is often kids who are sort of taught what obedience looks like, what they end up receiving that as is a list of do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. their understanding of faith becomes list management. Yeah. And so... The idea is often rooted in something that seems like, oh, sure, that feels Christian. But the way it fleshes out doesn't often get us where we hope to go with our kids. If what we most Mm -hmm. hope is that they would know God, Um, strangely, obedience training type philosophy uh, often doesn't actually lead there. How does obedience training kind of warp our understanding of God? I mean, if if, if what we're taught is God wants wants you to be good, how does that misinform uh, a child's understanding of who God actually is in your mind? I think there's a few ways we see this happen. One is God becomes the one watching your list management mm. yeah. and a- mm-hmm. evaluating you yeah. like a, a examiner. Another image is that God becomes a lot like Santa in like a yeah. bad way, right? Yeah. Santa sees yeah. you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake and so on. <laughs> yeah. And there's sort of Just promise. Just and wrong. It's so Christian yet... That's most kids' understanding, right? There's promised yeah. reward for the goodness. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is sort of promised um, lack of blessing for the badness. And so part of that then becomes kids think that's what God most cares about is how they behave. It often means they don't understand a lot about grace. And when you fast sure. forward from childhood to like the beginning of adulthood, 
what you see, especially in the research, is you hear young people and emerging adults talk a lot about how exhausted they are from that list management. And so right. they're resentful yeah. of the God who made them put that energy in. Mm-hmm. Or they are not sure that God has really come through for them. This idea of God with them, the grace of God with them, these attributes are not robust enough because Mm -hmm. they've spent their whole childhood and teen years managing those lists and being the good kid. Now they're moving into a wider world where they maybe either fail at those lists. They maybe um, are seeing that there's a lot of pain still, even though they think they kept up their end of the bargain. Mm. And what that means to them is like, well, then God must not actually be good. Because God's supposed to come through if I do this. Um, Or God must be far away because Mm -hmm. I'm doing all this, but I still feel really um, like I'm struggling or that I'm like lonely in the middle of this. So Mm -hmm. they end up with mainly a sense that God is often distant um, and they're not so sure that God's trustworthy after all. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you're talking, like I certainly remember um, raising my young kids and and it was almost like um, my role as a parent is to uh, like discipline the sin out of them um, with that kind of mentality. And then I remember my own childhood, like they're just being this burden of belief. Like if I don't follow those things and do those things, but it sounds like what you're talking about is a very different approach to um, just, just that burden. I hope so. And yet I feel like it's not that different when you look at like the story of scripture, like God invites the people to become God's own people. And there's like a long time where God helps them get to know who God is, what God's like, where God takes Mm -hmm. action so they can understand what they're getting into becoming this Israelite people. And there is Mm -hmm. response being invited of these notably adults as Mm -hmm. they do this, but God is very much the initiator in the dynamic relationship. It is not human obedience that sort of starts this story on. And yet with kids, we start from this idea that they should do that right away. And I, and so it feels new because the last 50 years or so, especially there's been such a popularity towards the obedience training paradigm. And so my stuff sounds different, but I don't really think (sighs) I'm doing much unique or original. I think I'm sort of cueing back to, yeah. Some other ways we've seen that we give young people more time. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, I wonder if you could say, you know, God's goal isn't for you to be good, but for you to be his, right? Yeah. Like th- that's his aim. His aim is for, is for us to be his um, and, and whatever goodness and obedience that we might experience all flows downhill first from, from that truth of, of being known by him and trusting in him and having a, having a, a relationship of, of grace and dependence uh, upon him. Is, is it right to say that that's kind of the paradigm you're working with is like, first and foremost, let's be his. And then everything else kind of comes after that. Yes. I yeah. think it's the idea that you want kids to know God and recognize that they are known by God. Mm-hmm. And from, from there, then they can have the time to figure out, yeah, what does a response look like? What does that mean for my life? How does that shape perhaps my choices, my character, but those things are secondary always. Mm-hmm. All obedience responses are secondary and mm-hmm. flow from a sense of a trusting relationship first. That's Gosh. right. Man, I'm getting like hearing you talk about this is just like touching me in my heart. <laughs> like it's such a tender thing. Um, you posted something the other day about, um, I think you said something like the Bible reveals who God is. It's not a tool to raise our kids. And I could yeah. see where um, some people might be like, what do you mean? Like the Bible is not a handbook for raising my kids. Could you Could you unpack that for us a little? Yeah. Uh, and I specifically said, it's not a tool to raise good kids. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Because there is that idea that that's what we want. We all want good kids. And of course, there's something (laughs) real about that. Like no one wants to have the kid that causes all the trouble, both because out in the world that feels very uncomfortable and because at a deep level, there are choices we do hope our kids probably won't make. Yeah. That it would be hard. So that's real. And then what that often tempts us to do is grab the Bible and see if we can use it to make sure our kids know what they should and shouldn't do, how to be good, so that we can avoid any of those unwise you know, choices they might make and the consequences that would come from them. But I think what often happens when we do that is we come to the Bible then looking for behavior principles, yeah. Yeah. and then we can give those principles to our kids. They'd be portable little nuggets of truth that would keep them on the straight and narrow. And then I think we're really using the Bible to make our kids act just so versus entering into the world of the Bible to get curious about the stories, to become sort of imaginative about what it might've been like to see what God's up to in the midst of it. Those things often get bypassed when the goal is be a good kid. Every story devolves into be a good kid. Yeah. And you know, and then later on, if you're lucky, they'll want to come back to the Bible. They might give up on that. But if they <laughs> choose to continue, <laughs> it's like, wait, what else is happening in the story? I'm sorry, who right. did what? <laughs> and <laughs> it's like that version was so filtered when the goal is, how do I take this Bible story and make sure you know, most of all, go be a good kid, whether that's be right. honest, be patient, be a helper in your family. We have all these things that kids should go be and we can connect them to a Bible story but we're really kind of using the Bible at that point. Yeah. But, but we do that with marriage too, don't we? And we do that with, with work. We, we misappropriate the Bible in that sense. And we say, well, it's going to help me figure out how to have a better relationship with my spouse. It's going to help me figure out how to be more productive in my professional life. And we, 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 it should be no surprise then that we just then take the scriptures and we try to do the same thing with our kids. We've turned it all into like this more, this moralistic, deistic kind of yep. generic spirituality that's focused on how can I just live a better life and be a better person. Absolutely. And so I, I so because I, I see that you know as a pastor of a church, I see people bringing that desire to church, like just tell me from the scriptures so it sounds really holy how to have a better life, and and that ultimately leads to burnout and despair spiritually and other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in other ways, uh, other ways of life. So, so for me, it's like not surprising that we do this with our kids because we do it in every other way of life too. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree. And, and probably I would imagine you guys would agree. There's something a little bit funky to parse out between the idea that this story, um, this big story of scripture, there's wisdom and it's supposed to lead to life. And yet it's not a handbook that gives us a sense of moralism. And those two things do become gray and funky. And one of the differentiators is adults can sometimes parse that out better because they're Mm -hmm. adults. Mm -hmm. And when you give it to kids, I think that's especially hard because they are not developmentally equipped to even go into that nuanced murkiness of how do I expect that there be wisdom that is important. And yet it's not my next action step (laughs) as if this thing can um, tell me exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's so good. Um, so I know a lot of what you do is like uh, Bible story breakdowns. And it's interesting because um, in my own house, my kids and I were talking about, we, we were just learning about Abraham. We came to the story of Abraham and Isaac and we were, they were asking me about it. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Cause I'd never stopped and thought about like 
how this story, how you tell some of these Bible stories to kids that we tell to kids. Um, So I want to ask you like a story like, um, well, just uh, first of all, we want to ask you to do a couple of Bible story breakdowns for us. But so let's start with like the really tricky ones, like the the Abraham and Isaac or um, Noah. (laughs) Like we have these stories that we give to kids. um, But but what do we do with that? Yeah. Uh, so if we start with tricky stories, it's a great chance to, first of all, be mindful that what we want to do with kids is what I just call God-centered storytelling, that we're not looking okay. to the human as the center of the story. The humans are important, but they just get to be regular people because what we're most looking for is who is God in this story? What is God like in this story? And so we're starting with the idea that God will be our main character and the humans still matter, but they just get to be plain old humans. Which means you take Abraham and Isaac. I love talking about Abraham and Isaac (laughs) because then you will find that what that shifts is that the story is not about how Abraham obeyed when God asked him to do this hard thing. Although that is a piece of this. But for a kid hearing this new, this is about what God is up to. Well, at first it seems like what God is up to is to be a big old meanie. Like this just seems scary and sad. But one thing we can help with as adults is the recognition that one, if, if you're telling stories, that's a storytelling tradition. And so if they're going to tell the story of whatever happened, then often that means that things in the Old Testament, especially, but not only, they were enacted, right? A prophet would get a message, they do something. And then everyone would tell the story about that time that prophet did that wild thing. And what did that mean? I think enactment is part of what's happening here, where God has something that's going to be important for God's people. And so Abraham has to go through it. And then the story will be told to people who don't record it on their phones and put it in a book even for a long time. And then the other piece you'd give kids is the reminder that there are these other gods all around Israel. And everyone's wondering, what are they like? And one of the things they're like is violent, including asking for child sacrifice. So if Abraham's getting to know God, like we're getting to know God and God says, bring me your son, Abraham's going to go, okay, that tracks. God's asked for children to be sacrificed. And so on Abraham goes, and yet what is most important is, but God stops this from happening. And forever and always, the story will be, remember the time that God didn't want a child sacrifice? Because our God is the God of life. Mm-hmm. Remember the time that God said uh-huh. no and stopped the hand? Because we're the people who don't do that to our children. Mm-hmm. And there's something about, well, of course, God could just say, I don't want you to sacrifice your kids. <laughs> But it would have been important for them that it happened to someone who's a leader of their story and that the story would get passed on and that there was this doing piece. And so that is the piece that I think as adults, we help break down of saying, did you know that there were other gods and this happened, which is so sad, right? Mm -hmm. Did you know that oftentimes when God gave a message to someone, it got acted out and then that's how the story got told. And so we add those little did you knows to the story and it Mm -hmm. creates some insight that can help our kids then say, oh. God is not bad in this story. That's God right. is good. That's right. um, and so that would be probably the breakdown on that. And that's where I do think the God-centered storytelling shifts everything because it's not about Abraham's obedience, though that is indeed an important piece of the story. But you're not telling the kid, go do whatever God asks you all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, right. That's, right. that's not really the main thing about this story. Not really. Right. It's about right. who God is making people. So, so what about stories that have, you know, even stronger 
you know, adult, adult themes, you know, themes that you might say, I, I just don't know that I can, I can, even if the focus is on God's activity and revealing Christ um, in and through this story versus putting the onus on, on the human actors in the story, um, even as you try to keep, keep the focus on being centered on God, it feels like, well, there's just no way I can, I can make this make, <laughs> make this make sense to a child without just exposing them to an idea that maybe they're not ready for. So, so I think, I think of the story of Noah, which ironically so many people use to decorate uh, the, you know, the, the, the nurseries of their, of their newborn ch- child. But the story of Noah involves, you know, the death of everyone on the planet in, in judgment. Uh, if you're really going to tell that story, that that feels like a really difficult story to try and tell to children. What what do you do with with that one? Agreed. So the first thing would be if you can, you don't tell the, them that one. Yeah. And I, that's okay. Honestly, that's okay though. Like there's there's stories. It, it's okay to be like you know what they're not ready for this story in the scripture, even though the scripture is inspired and holy and good. I can choose to not tell that one just yet. That's okay. I would say absolutely that's okay. Okay. I think Mm -hmm. it is so appropriate. And especially if you are the nearest adult to a kid, you know, you know, if they can begin to handle it or they're not ready Mm -hmm. yet, you know, if it will be a new and interesting idea that causes them to lean in, or if it will become an overwhelming idea that just leaves them confused. It is okay that our God and the story of scripture are mysterious, but kids need to practice holding mystery just like the rest of us. So if we dump too much mystery on them, that's not, they're not (laughs) going to do anything but feel (laughs) overwhelmed. And so I am a huge advocate that with children, it's fine to skip and save. You're not shielding them from scripture. You're saving it till they can understand it. Because a lot of these stories are not children's stories and they are not, and they're confusing for us. So to almost dump them on children too early, Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like that is respectful of their growth. And there's a reality that I just think if God is who God, we believe God will be, then the kid can come to it later and Mm -hmm. enjoy those stories later on. So that is, I think, a a huge piece of this, that we sometimes think we have to walk kids, Genesis to Revelation, and there is plenty that just isn't for them yet, and they can get to it later. And so in an ideal world, I think this is one of them. I think trying to explore Noah there's enough going on there that that's not available to kids until they're eight, nine, 10 um, to begin to understand that. Because if you start with God's grief, a child has to be aware enough of what's going on in our world in really deep, hard, painful ways to even have a sense of why that would be the beginning of the story, Hmm. the grief of God over sin. And hopefully kids don't actually know that yet. If kids do know that already, that's because they're living it. And what that child needs then is care and support. That's a great Not this point. story. So either way, I think yeah. that's funky. Now, on the other hand, like you already mentioned, it's everywhere. And so you can't always <laughs> keep your kid from knowing it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And then you have sort of the damage uh, control version of like, okay, what do you do with this story? And I think that there's some themes that kids do see. Right. That they see things like, what have you noticed that's hard and sad in the world? Hmm. And do you think God cares about those things? Do you think God wants to fix them? Do you think God is sad about them? And that question can often be explored. Like, yeah, God felt that Mm -hmm. sad, especially insofar as God's not abstractly mad that people sinned in some sort of generic way. Like it's that people are suffering under the injustice that gets created, right? That there is this 
when everything goes awry, a lot of people really suffer under that. And so there's something about yeah. God's goodness in ending badness that you can mm. begin to explore a bit. Um, I think this is where a lot of our siblings of color and black theologians and liberation theologians often um, can help us remember that part of God's goodness shows up in ending uh, yeah. evil. Yep. And yeah. so I think that's one thing that can just be explored. I think that it's, worth looking through the idea that God could have been done and didn't give up on humanity. Yeah. There's sort of a creation 2.0 of like, I yep. could have just quit the whole experiment and yet God doesn't. And this comes yeah. up again when Israel bombs and yet God doesn't. Paul's right. talking about it a lot in Romans. Like, well, <laughs> God seems to need to keep promises to Israel and yet they're not accepting Jesus except for a tiny remnant of us. And we don't know what to make of that. It's yeah. similar of like, wow, God is so creative in God's faithfulness That's to right. keep on keeping on over yeah. the long haul. There's something about God not quitting on us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's totally okay to say um, in the middle of that, there's a lot of stuff that feels really hard to us. And one of the things that can be helpful, I don't know if you all found this helpful in the story, John Walton, he has those awesome books about the lost world of Adam and Eve, the lost world of the flood, mm -hmm. some of these, right? Mm -hmm. And he's the one who brings up this notion that the ancient Near East might not have thought about good and bad the way we do. Sure. We often think like good things are good because they lead to personal human flourishing and bad things are bad if people suffer. Mm -hmm. But they had an understanding of goodness being connected to order and to yeah. like you ordering chaos makes you a good God. Mm -hmm. And if some people are lost in the process of ordering chaos, that would not have felt bad to them. So they're not as right. concerned when they tell story tell and a whole lot of people drown mm -hmm. Because that's the price that gets paid in order to order chaos. Isn't it great that we have a God so great that God could order that chaos? And I think it's okay mm -hmm. to try to introduce our kids to this idea that this is a different time and a different place and a different culture that yeah. is thinking differently about what would make God good to them. And we don't that's have right. to understand that. And we don't even have to agree with it. But often the Bible helps us think about, oh, they might see it different than we do. And that's okay. That's right. So those that's all right. those pieces, I think, can help start to sort of untangle Noah if it got told to a kid uh, mm -hmm. too young, too early, that it's all about Noah's obedience, that you two better obey or you won't have a spot on the boat, that, right. you know, like all the cute fussy animals die. Like there's, and, and the hard part is a lot of what I just shared probably still isn't available to a kid too young. Sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that well, was Well, and it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is also recognizing like, yeah, there, these are some hard stories to understand and like calling it what it is. Yeah. There's some mystery here. And, and these are, these are crazy ideas and like exploring that a little bit without the, the burden of um, understanding the culture and the world that the, that these stories came from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can we practice again doing like sure. a God centered storytelling? Um, I know that you, you like uh, you brought up the story of David and Bathsheba, which is like, how do I, I actually think veggie tales, approaches this one really well but this idea of like david and bathsheba like how do you um take a story like that with a kid that let's say i have a 10 year old yeah. um and how could i make it so the story is not about david right uh, mm -hmm. but that it's a god-centered story yeah yeah so we actually did this once in a church environment for our fourth and fifth graders so that was mm -hmm. the first thing like you said you have a 10 year old right we still i mm -hmm. think can collectively agree like well it doesn't just because you can do the story <laughs> with kids doesn't mean you do it with five-year-old <laughs> you kids. should right oh, right right but by fourth, fifth grade, when the storyteller to this room said to them, David cheat, like David cheated. And that idea, even though that's a contemporary way to say it, was like, oh, a lot of them know what that means yeah. when, mm -hmm. when someone does that. 
um, a lot of them know enough about power to say this was not what David should have done, but he had all the power. And so he got, he gets his way and it's like, oh no, they can understand that. And then you have the story having to continue into David's Psalm of repentance, right? So that's part of the God-centered storytelling is here's David blowing it right, left and sideways. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this moment of coming back to God. And so your God-centered storytelling is there is nothing too bad to keep us from God's love and grace. You get to let David be as awful as he is because that helps make the point all the more that, yeah, David gets to come back because there is nothing too far and nothing too wrong that God doesn't have the grace and love to reach into that. That that's so much of God's greatness um, to be able to handle that. And often we tell kids that about God, that no, nothing, nothing makes God love you less. But we don't tell them stories where a person does something where you think, I would love them less. So yep. it's actually be a helpful thing. We, we, yeah, we don't tell them stories to prove it, that really these people blew it yeah. in huge, painful, hard ways. And so great is God to be able to work in the midst of that. Mm. And I think, you know, as you're talking, other ideas are coming to mind for me. I think another angle into how loving and good God is in the, to David in this story is that he loved him enough to give him a friend in Nathan who would tell him the truth and tell him, expose his sin and expose the difficult thing that he did. And for kids to see that as that's, that's God loving you so much that he would tell you something you don't want to hear. Yes. Right. Like, I think that's, yep. that's something we can learn about the character of God and how much he loves us too. Right. There's, Absolutely. there's lots to be discovered there. Uh huh. And the neat thing you can do with kids is you can do one version one time. And the next time you talk about the story, you tell another version. Yeah. Cause sometimes as adults, we tell all the stuff all at once. Right. So like yeah. one time you can talk about this, like, Hey, there's this Psalm from this really low time. Another time you can talk about, Hey, Nathan shows up and has to like say a hard thing. Mm-hmm. And here's how it like happens out of that. David actually does listen. That's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. And you can say like, how do you think this story would sound if Bathsheba was allowed to have been her own writer? Yeah. What do you think would have come up then? Right. So every time mm-hmm. you sort of circle Great back question. around, you can take a new angle with your kid to bring something new to light. It's not that there's only one true thing about God happening. There's lots of true things about God that are coming to mm-hmm. life. You can kind of pick and choose which one they're into for that day, for that moment and conversation. Mm-hmm. Come back to another one later. Yeah. So Meredith, talk to me about how you like to explain salvation to a child, because I know that you've got some thoughts on the whole ask Jesus into your heart narrative, uh, as well as, you know, the notion of, of altar calls and those kinds of things. Yeah. So, so, so how do you suggest people talk about uh, the moment of salvation or coming to faith as a child? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think the Jesus in the heart metaphor is challenging for kids who are concrete. And so I think even when you just say Jesus wants to be your friend, that's also concrete. They have friends Mm -hmm. and the idea of Jesus as a good friend and a forever friend is a very simple shift that gets them away from the mechanisms of hearts (laughs) and how God gets to all of them (laughs) and does God shrink and (laughs) all that kind of thing. Um, And so being mindful that kids are concrete when we work a lot in metaphors for salvation, they might not understand us. And I think being mindful that kids don't always express their confusion. Some do. Some kids will speak up the moment they don't understand what you mean, but many of them not along with mm-hmm. us. And so we're the ones who need to be careful about like, is this as understandable as possible? I think friendship is a great one to talk about what Jesus would want, that we could be friends forever, starting now into eternity. Mm-hmm. I think family is another one 
to say that God has formed a family and we are all invited in and the family of God cares for each other and reflects God loves the world. And you get to join that family if you'd like. I think that following can be another helpful salvation term, Um, even in the sense that they can picture a literal game of follow the leader. Jesus's disciples originally literally follow him as he, again, lets them have the chance to know what God is up to and what God's like first before they Mm -hmm. get the chance to respond. And that that idea that you could choose to follow Jesus. And even though we can't see or hear Jesus the way that first group could, it's still similar that we Mm -hmm. would listen to what he would tell us about God, that we would listen to what might be ours to do next, that we would be part of what God is doing in the world in our own way. I think any of those three are often really good first conversations, that it's Mm -hmm. friendship or joining a family or saying that you'll follow. And I think, again, to that idea that you can circle around, probably you can talk about salvation in lots of different ways in at different times. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, I grew up in a Jesus-loving house, and I think I was uh, in college whenever I realized, like, asking Jesus into your heart is not a phrase that's in the Bible. Um, so certainly having those things where it's like, oh, I need to reconsider this, and like, how do I pass this on to my kids? Um, you know, so maybe I'm being a little bit more clear. Yeah. for them than, than I was. Um, yeah. So that it's just, it's so good. Yeah. And then I would also say, I think with salvation and kids, it's important to be mindful that when we talk a lot about the atonement, we can sometimes mm-hmm. give them conclusions without showing our work. We'll say things like mm-hmm. Jesus died for yeah. your sins, but are we sure they know what sin means and how it looks sure. in the world? Yeah. And are we sure they also understand that Jesus is alive? Because sometimes we don't actually also say the resurrection of Jesus means there's life, right? We just stop on the died yeah. for your sins part. Um, yeah. And so there is something about showing our work when we have these shorthand phrases that have kind of taken root in Christian speak over time to yeah. be like, wait, does the kid actually know what I mean when I tell him that? Yeah. And yeah. especially the idea that this is flowing from the resurrection. Right. That it's not to say that Good Friday is not an important part of the story, but we sometimes stop there with kids and they don't get the idea that it is the, the resurrected life of Jesus blowing all of this wide open and making all of this possible. Um, And that to them often is naturally very appealing. You can see it as young as two, when you take them to Easter and you say, your friend, Jesus is alive. Let's throw a party. They're like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Now is a two-year-old making a decision for self? Are they probably not? Of course not. Are they participating in what it means to enjoy the family of God who lives on the other side of the resurrection? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they yeah. grow into what it means, right? They grow in over time. And yeah. so. Yeah. And, and can they, as, you know, as the gospel is proclaimed, taught, illustrated to them and around them, can the Holy Spirit be at work in and through that story as it's portrayed, as it's at work to, to plant seeds of faith, nurture a growing faith so that, so that they might have an understanding of who Jesus is that they, they, they come to terms with and they, they recognize later in life, but it's really been forming in them and alive in them long before they ever say, you know what? I really believe this because, you know, I'll show my cards. That's the tradition I belong to where, you know, b- believing, you know, God's word, the story of God in Jesus Christ is so powerful that as you illustrate it, teach it, proclaim it in and around even the youngest of kids, it's at work and can stir up a dependence upon Jesus, uh, a, a relationship with Jesus that much like our relationship with our parents, 
bears fruit in articulation and obedience and understanding long after it's already been established and rooted and working. Yes. And so, so part of the work of parents is if you've got kids, I think, that are growing up in the context of, of a home where um, the, the story of Jesus is being told, it's, it's not so much trying to work towards this moment of decision as it is trusting that God's at work in the stories you're telling and then teasing this faith and this dependence that God is that God is planting in them, teasing out what God is putting in versus trying to get them to this particular concrete finish line that is more about you feeling good as a parent than about their particular salvation. But that's just yes. my soapbox that I'll step off. No, on really I love quick. that soapbox. And I'm I'm so glad you got on it because I could not agree more. And I, I love that you did that using a planting growing metaphor which obviously also in the Bible too, but like that, yeah. that we like lose sight that that is kids are literally growing. And then there is this very true thing about giving it time, right? The great thing about a growing metaphor is how much time it takes. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that that is, um, like you said, there's a thing that parents want to feel good by getting their kids to a certain point and we might rush mm -hmm. kids, but everything right. you just described gives them time and trust how the Holy Spirit works over time because right. the Holy Spirit can be trusted in that. So, and I come from very much a tradition that um, thinks you need to make a choice, which I actually think is fine, but it's okay to have the choice be one where you go, I choose baptism now because I recognize that I have loved Jesus for the last seven years of mm. my life, mm. right? Mm. Or I yeah. choose more of an everyday yes to Jesus because I recognize that this community that surrounded me introduced me to him. And yeah, I do trust him. Like it doesn't have to be that that choice is I was a sinner and now I am saved. There's all kinds of faith choices young people make as they come to recognize exactly what you said that, oh, I've been, I've been in this. I see mm -hmm. that I do know God. That's um, right. yeah. But I definitely came from like a, your testimony only counts if you can point to a before and after kind of moment. And right. I wasn't, yeah. that wasn't my story. I was just I was raised knowing the love of Jesus. That's right. So it was like, oh, does yeah. this count? Does this, does this count? Of course yeah. it counts. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you can set kids up oh, to yeah. disdain their own story of God if it yeah. doesn't have a dramatic enough turn, right? Right. Like, cause like for, for me, I grew up knowing that I grew up coming to an awareness of what it means to be a Popovitz, right? Mm -hmm. That's my, my last name. That's the, that's the tree I'm, I'm, I'm born from. But in the same way, at the same time, I grew up coming to an awareness of being a follower of Jesus and and growing up into that. And I, do, I don't have like this dramatic pivot point yeah. in my life. I'm just like, I've grown up knowing what it means to be a member of my family and yes. growing into articulating that and yeah. embracing that and yes. loving that. And in the same way, at the same time, I've grown up knowing what it means to be a Christian and growing in that and exactly. embracing that and coming to terms mm -hmm. with that. Yes. And it's okay if my story of faith is really, really mundane. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I want to ask you about like, you know, we're talking about like growing up in godly households and that kind of thing. And um, I homeschool my kids. And I um, a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody ask me like, what religious curriculum are you using? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not using a Bible curriculum. And it got me thinking like this pressure where I was like, should I be doing like family devotions at night? And should I be doing like, should we be memorizing more scripture? And I was just like, I just, that pressure of like, am I not doing enough in my family to like, to do that? Um, and so I wanted to hear your, your thoughts and your heart. I have a feeling, I know what you're going to say, but I want to hear your heart on that. Well, it, it springs off from what Matt was just saying, that mm -hmm. that's the big picture vision. Are we creating an environment in which they can grow in this love? Mm -hmm. And so if you continue on with, 
what one does in a literal garden of like, you get some compost on in there and you turn dirt over and you weed things out and you, you know, there's this like environment setting that happens because you have a big picture view. Then the particulars I think can be wildly varied based on who your kids are, what your family mm-hmm. culture is like, your family's background and broader tradition, your family's ethnic story and cultural traditions. All of those things matter for what it'll look like in the everyday version. And mm-hmm. whether you do or don't memorize verses, do or don't have devotions, do or don't, you know, whatever. Then the problem in my mind is that there's been a lot of pressure for that to be one size fits all. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Especially the idea that like a dinnertime devotion is the thing. And then what we're all trying to do together is figure out how to get our dinnertime devotion happening. Like we're all just trying to hack the devotion. But like, what if that's not the right thing for your family at all? Like, because your kid's best energy is in the morning or they're going to talk most about faith in the car or, you know, all these kinds of pieces that it's like, no, that's not, we got, you got to get to the devotion. And I don't think one size fits all is remotely the key to creating the kind of environment wherein a kid gets to experience the love of God and then practice it bit by bit. I think that there's probably a hundred things a family could do and they should pick the five that work for them, whether anybody else does them or not. Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like you're talking a lot more about like the grace, the grace of God, right? Like God's not looking down even on me as a parent and being like, you're not teaching enough scripture, you're not memorizing the right Bible verses, but having like living that out. And that that's hard. Cause I think there's like, we're talking about my, my child's like relationship with God, but the question becomes, do I trust that God's big enough to tell his own story? If I like, don't checklist off all these things. Um, and, and is that really the life God is inviting us into? Amen. Like, right. Of, yeah. of doing Christian activities or is yeah. that potentially sending our kid the message that their Christian life is this batch of activities. And then the rest of their life is something else. What they need is a family that follows Jesus in ordinary ways. And that Mm -hmm. includes some things that look more overtly religious. And it includes things that look incredibly mundane, right? right? So inviting your kids into understanding your family's budget along the way. How we spend mm-hmm. our money and how our love for God informs the fact that we give. Did you know we give some of our money away? We give some of our money mm-hmm. away regularly because we think there are people God loves and our money can help those people know God's love. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea of our family. One of our traditions has become Sunday dinner. We're just a couple months into this. It was kind of a rebuild mm-hmm. on Sabbath being a, a real big one for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that means on Sunday night, we order takeout from a family owned restaurant in our community. And we order more than we normally would. This is like appetizers, desserts, like the bill. (laughs) We're like jacking that bill up for the sake of the business. And then we talk a ton about God's abundance and God's joy and how we're part of a community. We've talked about black owned business and what that means for our neighbors and all these Mm -hmm. themes, not every night, not everyone, lest you think we're like, you know, just all the deal. (laughs) Not like that. But along the way, what we're, all we're doing is eating a, ton of barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) And that has brought up more quality faith conversations in the last three months than anything else our family has done because it's Mm -hmm. about our ordinary dinner. (laughs) We're going to eat dinner. That's our regular life. We're going to eat dinner, but we're actually going to eat dinner kind of in this weird way because we love and follow Jesus. And so this is Mm -hmm. one of the neat ways we take that to heart and kids need that 
Otherwise, it seems very irrelevant and very less managey. And I just have mm-hmm. lots of questions about if that's what God most <laughs> cares about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, at, well, Meredith, as you're saying that, you know, what came to mind for me was, you know, the the, the verse in, in, in Deuteronomy where it, where God gives instruction to uh, families about how really how to teach the faith. And it's called the, um, in Hebrew, it's called the Shema. It's hero Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. Um, and and the, the instruction is, as you well know, to to teach the faith, to teach the the things of God to your children as you go through life. I mean, the instruction is like as you're doing life, you know, as as you're making dinner, as you're paying bills, as you're you know walking to the corner store, whatever it is. It's in those moments that you try to point towards the things of God, not this necessarily this other set apart time where it's like, all right, now we're going to do the really religious activity. It's it's more like this this thread that's meant to go throughout all the the normal typical stuff of of life you're you're just pivoting to pointing to pointing out pointing at the the, the things of God right that's kind of what I hear you saying yes absolutely and mm-hmm. I think that that makes way more sense of sort of what it means to be following Jesus as a family together and that's where I think you notice when we circle back all the way to where we were a while ago in our conversation about the obedience training version mm-hmm. what it offers a parent is if you just do these things, you can keep your kids safe. That is so much more appealing sometimes than, wait, you mean my whole ordinary life should be adjusted to the reality of God's goodness and Mm -hmm. grace and generosity Mm -hmm. and abundant, like my, like all of our stuff might need to come under that light and be invited into something new. And that feels real hard if I'm the adult and responsible for that. And can't I just... Like, can't I just tell my kid to go be a good person and then, you know, call that good? Like, there's something about that yeah. holistic approach that can feel like, oh, that 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 means my whole life really is coming into the love of God. And yeah. not because that becomes lofty, but because it's holistic and sort of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's, yeah. that's the comprehensive thing that yeah. can be amazing, but also feels real different. Yeah. What a great word, holistic. What a, That's so, so fantastic. Um, I could sit and talk to you and listen to you to, I, I could like go through a whole list of things. Like, what would you say to a kid about this? What would you say to a kid about this? But I know we don't have time for that. Um, so I want to ask kind of, as we wrap up, do you have a favorite story or a favorite tenet of faith or something that you like to share with kids? Oh, I have lots of favorites. <laughs> um, I really love when Jesus walks out on the water and joins in the boat. I just love how many layers there are. Cause you can tell that to kids as young as two, and it's, mm-hmm. it's neat. And then you can add in the nerdy when he says it's him and how it calls back to I am. And so that's fun once they get older and it's like a new little nugget. So I think that part's <laughs> neat. And then most of all is this idea that Jesus gets in with them. And there's something about coming to and they are scared, which is just such a big mm-hmm. emotion that we all have to face down of what does it mean to trust God and fear and here he comes to get in with them. So I, I always love that one. Yeah. Well, I I know Rachel just said that that might be our last question, but I thought of one, I thought of one more. (laughs) Um, If if we have time, Meredith, the the question is this, you know, what do you say to parents who are like, Meredith, I'm on board. I want to have some God centered conversations (laughs) about scripture with my kids, but I know nothing about the Bible whatsoever. Like I would love to tell the story of, you know, Zacchaeus from which, you know, maybe it's in the gospels. I don't know, but I don't even know where the gospels are. Like, what do you say to a parent who's like, I want to teach the Bible in a God centered way, but I have very little Bible knowledge. I don't even know where to start. 
Yes. Oh, that's great. I think that's an amazing question. So the very basic would be, uh, before you try a story with your kid, get on BibleGateway.com or something like it. Mm-hmm. If you, like to your point, of, I don't know where. Mm-hmm. Put in a keyword search. That word could be Jesus if you don't know where the Gospels are. And it will bring up where those stories begin. And I would say take the New Living Translation because it's mm-hmm. um, very accessible for kids as far as understanding the story. And read Jesus and Zacchaeus yourself. And then either you could literally print that page out or you could paraphrase it and just be a storyteller. And in a car ride or over breakfast, whenever your kid is at their best, be like, hey, I thought it'd be fun to do a story. Want to try it? Mm -hmm. And just try being their storyteller based on what you just read. And then you don't have to know anything about context and genre and how the ancient Near East thought this or that about what goodness meant. (laughs) I don't doubt about that. I think that's fun. But all you actually do at the end of the story is say, I noticed this about Jesus. What do you notice? And then give your kid space to answer. And I'm, I would honestly say that you can tell your kid a Bible story in about five to seven minutes. And then you can throw that one question on the end and give them the chance to say, like, what's something you noticed about who God is or what God's like in this story? Mm. And let them answer. And then the conversation might be done at that point. They might bring something up. Let them interrupt you while you tell that story. If you don't know the answer, just say, I don't know. That's a great question. Let's find out. And go go Googling that later. You don't even have to know in the moment. Just take note of those interruptions. Hmm. And if the whole thing takes less than 10 minutes, that probably actually works great for a kid. That's about their real life attention span. Mm -hmm. And so that would be what I would say for the very beginning of how you sort of started out. Meredith, thanks so much for being on the program. Wonderful stuff. Great conversation. (laughs) Um, We we look forward to talking with you again sometime. I would love that. This was so much fun. Thank you you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So Rachel, I so appreciate that that Meredith Ann Miller tells us we can and we should teach the Bible to our kids, but she also gives us permission to to teach it at an age appropriate level and to take our time. Like we don't have to teach the whole thing and all the details about the thing we do teach. We can take our time with it. So yes, teach the Bible to your kids. You don't have to tell the stories that aren't appropriate yet. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, take your time in teaching this to them. I, I really, really appreciate it. What do you appreciate? Oh, yeah. You know, um, yeah, that same thing, how she talked about, if you liken it to having a garden and gardening, Mm -hmm. it takes time. Um, And that is okay. I think sometimes there's this like urgency of, I have to teach my kids everything they need to know now. And if we talk about the Trinity, I need to tell them all the ins and outs and the controversy or whatever. And like, like you, we try to do too much at once and we don't allow for there to just be time. Like, like if we live a life and that is like a rhythm of mm-hmm. talking about Jesus and living that out. Like that is impactful. It doesn't have to be the, um, just the urgency that we sometimes feel. It was, yeah. it was very freeing. Yeah. Fr- freeing is a great word. And and I, I felt mm-hmm. a lot of that in her response to your question, which I really appreciated about, about how to, you know, how to have a, like a, a God-centered home without feeling this, this immense pressure to have mm-hmm. a very rigid, you know, family curriculum that you follow or devotional life. Um, you know, some of the, some of the pressures we feel of like making, you know, making, making something happen every morning or every evening with our kids. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and she just, she kind of gave us permission to say, no, um, 
find ways, like you said, to talk about faith, to tell these stories in, in the rhythm of everyday life, as you're going to the store, as you're paying your bills, as you're making dinner. Uh, and, and I, and, and, and I really appreciated that as well. This again, very, very freeing stuff. Very freeing. Well, and she, she said it briefly, but she said, it's kind of like, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And she said, Mm -hmm. sometimes it looks like these religious, um, traditions that you have, or it looks like the liturgy. Right. And then sometimes it just looks like having a conversation in the car, um, about a story that came to mind. And, um, and that's just a really beautiful balance of those things. It doesn't have to be all one or the other, because that's what we're talking about, right? Just living a life that reflects God's love and that, that pertains to our kids as well. Yeah. I also loved the very quick breakdown she offered us about the story of Abraham and Isaac. Like she mm-hmm. did that, that was, that was oh. great. Just her perspective yeah. of, of, of wrestling with what does this tell us about the character of God? I mm-hmm. just, and she just made that up off the top of her head. Like she just, she just did that on yeah. the spot when you asked her and she, she had some, some great insights in that, that two minute breakdown that she did of that story. I thought that was, that was really, really well done. Yeah, it might be one of the best explanations I've heard of that story before, because I did. I remember coming to it and I was like, yeah, this is wild. I don't know what to do with this. Um, yeah. But she did so well. Um, you know what? It <laughs> it made me think of um, how she talked about, like, make sure your kids, you're not skipping the like groundwork that they understand mm. what you're talking about. She brought up Easter. And I remember that a few years ago, my youngest, I want to say she was like five um, and she thought every year on Easter, Jesus died and rose mm-hmm. again on Sunday. He, you know, yeah. and it was one of those things that like, I just took for granted this like Christian speak and didn't take the time to slow down and say like, what's really going on here. And I guarantee you, I was probably trying to do too much when I was talking to my yeah. kids about salvation. Um, but it's just a really mm-hmm. good point was we forget like kids process things in a kid's way. Um, and so it's okay to to talk to them about the mystery and the beauty of God in a, in a way that, that speaks to kids. Yeah. yeah. This yeah, is my jam. I love talking about this. Yeah, no, it's really important <laughs> stuff. And 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 we you know, we started the conversation with her talking about, you know, the mission behind her uh, behind mm-hmm. her ministry and and how a big part of it is just helping to get so much of the the moralism and obedience training out of yeah. teaching the faith. And man, like I I don't know if you could tell in the course of the interview, but like I could not agree with that more. Yeah. Like I it's just uh, you know, we we try to use the Bible as a parenting tool to 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 wring obedience out of our kids, and what we end yeah. up doing is wringing the joy and the love of the Lord out of our kids when we make God just another taskmaster who's standing over us with his stories, trying to get us to be good. And so I like I can't champion that message enough. No. Like it's so important. Yeah. It's so important. Like the like the overriding principle of like God wants you to be His more than mm-hmm. He wants you to be good. Now, does being good matter? Yes, but it it yeah. is secondary to you knowing who he is and how much he loves you in and through Jesus Christ. Because you can have good kids yeah. all day long, but if in the end, from a Christian perspective, in the end, if they don't have a a, a heart that is that is holding on to the person and the promises of Jesus, you have completely and utterly missed the point. But I'm so passionate about that. And I'm so glad that she is putting a focus on that. Yeah, well, you can see where it takes away the focus on legalism and without realizing it, I think a lot of times we teach children in terms of legalism because understanding right and wrong and black and white is very at a kid's level, but so is mystery and grace and, Mm -hmm. you know, the bigger, the bigger story of who God is. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Rachel, where can we learn more about Meredith Ann Miller and her work? Well, 
I would say follow her on Instagram at Meredith yeah. Ann Miller. Um, I yeah. do happen to know there's a rumor on the street that she has a book coming out next year. Uh, oh, so awesome. definitely be looking forward to that. And she breaks all this out. But I definitely would say follow her on Instagram. Yeah. Um, she, has, she posts she, stuff constantly. Yeah. She, she has a website, Meredith Ann Miller. Dot com And that's Anne with an E at the end of it. So MeredithAnnMiller.com, you can go there. But really, you're, you're, you're spot on. Her her Instagram account is where all the action is and all of her resources. Looks like she posts and puts stuff up on a, on a daily basis. And, and I know from yeah. just following her that it's it's all really, really good stuff. It's super helpful, not just as a parent, but as a teacher of the faith myself. It's really encouraging and really mm-hmm. helpful stuff. So so yeah, check her out yeah. on Instagram. So, so Rachel, what is your – what's your – What's your soundbite? What's your make it simple soundbite from this conversation with Meredith Ann Miller? Gosh, I have to pick one. Um, you do. I, th- <laughs> I think the the real the real message that I'm coming away with, and that I'll carry with me, is that you know when we're thinking about teaching children, teaching our children, teaching the children in our lives about Jesus, remembering that the point is to know who God is and understand God, and to to, to be known by God, that we are known and we are loved. And so just that understanding that um, if I'm, if I'm giving them that message that of who God is and that letting my children know that God loves them for who they are, um, that that's, that's my only responsibility. Like that's, that, that is enough. Um, so I think that's my soundbite right there. Yeah, what about you? I'm, I'm going to say something really similar. You know, my my make it simple soundbite is that the focus in teaching the Bible is to reveal the heart of God first and foremost, and not mm. to elicit a response of obedience from from those that you're teaching. Um, does obedience matter? Yes. Does 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 good behavior matter? Sure. Um, but it is far from the point of why God has revealed Himself in the Scriptures, and ultimately why He's He's revealed Christ to us. Uh, the ultimate point of all that revealing of himself is for us to know who he is, know his heart. That's it. That's that's the whole thing. Well, Rachel, um, you did really good in your fangirling over Meredith Ann Miller. I'm very proud of you. Tried to play it cool. Thanks. (laughs) I did my best. You did. You did a great job and a great guest, a great guest. Uh, Really, really good stuff. All right. So, so Rachel, what do you say? We do it again. We find another expert. We find another difficult topic and we try our best to have a good conversation to make it simple. Let's do it again. Let's do it. Definitely. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.